Good morning. Good to see everyone. If you have your Bibles, turn to the letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippians. Turn to Philippians. By the way, FYI, my name's Obed and I'm one of the leaders here. If you are new, this is your first time here with us, welcome. Um, we are thankful and appreciate your presence with us this morning. Um, we really are. Later on, we're going to give you info on how you can um, be part of, you know, you can participate in our church and everything like that. But grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians. Um, also, if you are new, um, we have been, um, we just started a series um, in the book of Philippians and um, it's great. I'm enjoying it so far. Hope you are. Thank you. Ah, the weather. It's the weather. Blame the weather for the slug, sluggishness. Hello? Can, is everything all right with the mic? Okay, cool. All right, Philippians chapter 1. This week we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And as always, may you guys please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through to 11 reads, I thank my God in every, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, when we begin our prayers with thank you, help us to not just use a thank you as something we do just as an introduction. And so, God, thank you. May you bring to mind the many reasons why we should be thankful for you. Not just this morning, but throughout the week. And when you do help us recognize the many ways we should be thankful for you, God, may we respond with praise and worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do you express your love and appreciation for someone? 
Think about it. When you love and you appreciate someone, how do you express your love for them? Maybe for all the younger generation, you send a text message with a bunch of emojis, heart emojis. Maybe for some of you, you send a lengthy email communicating how much, <laughs> I heard a yes there, <laughs> how much you love and appreciate that person. You send a lengthy email. Maybe some of you are gift givers. You go out and you buy a gift for them. You may buy flowers or you may buy a teddy bear. Some of you love cards, greeting cards. My mom loves cards, okay? Um, she has bought us crazy amounts of cards. And I didn't know all of these cards existed. Maybe if you want to express your love and appreciation for someone, you send them a card and you write, I love you and I appreciate you, thank you. That is it. No, nothing long, just a card. How do you express your love and appreciation for someone? In a room of this size, with the diversity we have, I'm sure if I was to pick up that mic, go around, ask all of you, you guys would communicate and express how you show your love and appreciation for someone in different ways. The Apostle Paul expressed his love and appreciation for the church he founded in Philippi. This morning, we'll continue our in-depth study of this letter he wrote. He wrote it at around um, AD 60, um, and it was to the Christian church in the ancient city of Philippi. Last week, we began our study of this letter he wrote by reading the whole letter. It was fun, wasn't it, if you was here? And reading this letter helped us get an overview of the letter. Um, it helped us begin to understand the major themes and the overall tone of the book. And one of the things that stood out as we read this whole book was that even though um, Philippians is not that long, it's not a long letter, it's definitely one of the most unique and powerful. The Apostle Paul, right, he's a bit of a, you know, a celebrity within Christianity for the right reasons. He's a prolific author. There are 27 books in the New Testament, and we know for certain that he wrote 13 of those. That's prolific. All of his writings are unique because he's writing to different people and he's writing to different churches. And what makes Philippians so unique and powerful is that it's the, it has to be the most encouraging and warm Pieces of literature the Apostle Paul wrote. Philippians is by far his warmest, friendliest, and most affectionate letter. 
Paul wrote this letter under house arrest in Rome. He was there waiting for his big trial before Caesar Nero. But despite the unfortunate circumstances he was having to endure, he writes this warm, friendly, and affectionate letter um, to this church he started some 10 years ago in Philippi. Paul has a history with the Philippians, and it's on this rich foundation that he composes this really beautiful letter that expresses his love and appreciation for them. And his love and appreciation, um, of course, is expressed with words, but he kind of expresses his love and appreciation in specific ways. First, he expresses it by showing his gratitude for his partner, for their partnership. Next, he expresses his love for them by reminding them of the confidence um, in God's work. And lastly, he expresses his love and appreciation for them by praying for more of God's love in their life. And so this morning, we're going to look at all of those ways. And so first, Paul expresses his love and appreciation for the Philippians by expressing his gratitude for their partnership. Look at verse 3 again, all right? Look at verse 3. It's, he begins by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you, right? Well, in other words, Paul is saying, right, that every time I think about you guys, I think about you Christians in Philippi, I thank God. Whenever Paul remembered the Philippians, he was thankful, the thought of them didn't make his stomach churn. Rather, it prompted him to give thanks to God for them. And so think about the person in your life that makes your stomach churn. Think about them. Who is it? Whenever you think about them, you're like, oh my gosh. Now think about the people you know that lead you to thank God, that person. That when you think about them, you're like, thank God for them. Look at verse 4. Paul continues. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so he's not only thankful to God every time he thinks about them, but whenever he prays for them, he prays with joy. <laughs> Put simply, Paul became happy and excited whenever he prayed for the Philippians. And you guys know what that is like, right? right? Just think about it. Like I said, there are people that make you happy. And when you do pray for them, your heart is filled with joy and thankfulness. And so the question we have to ask next is this, right? Why is Paul super thankful for the Philippians? What have they done um, for him to be so happy and joyful every time he thinks about them? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
right? I'm sure Paul was thankful for a lot of things, right? But the main reason he's thankful for them is because of their what? ongoing partnership in the gospel. That's the reason why he's happy for them. He's, um, he's thankful for them, sorry. The ancient Greek word for partnership in verse 5 is kononia. It basically means this, to share something in common with another person. It's when two or more people become involved together in a joint venture. Like when a man and woman agree to get married or business partners you know, get together and agree to start a business or your favorite team, right, um, you know, gets together and says, this year we're going to win the championship or something. Um, the idea of partnership here is when two or more people become involved together in a joint venture. In a similar way, the Philippians faithfully partnered with Paul in spreading the gospel. And their partnership didn't mean they traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. They didn't, but they partnered with him whenever and however they supported him. Every time they prayed for Paul, they were partnering with him in spreading the gospel. Their financial support was another way they partnered with Paul. Um, they, were, you know, they were hospitable to Paul when he visited. This was all visited. This was all the, some of the ways that they partnered with him. All the ways they supported Paul contributed to, contributed to the spread of the gospel. That's why he's super thankful for them. If you're here this morning, right, and you would say that you're a Christian. Your mission in life is to love God and then partner with other Christians in spreading the gospel. That's your mission in life. If you're like, what's the purpose of my life? I can help you with that. I just did, right? It's to love God and partner with other Christians in spreading the gospel. Put simply, you are called to gospel partnership. You are called to participate in the spread of the gospel so that everyone everywhere may hear the gospel and be saved. And as we think about partnership for gospel purposes, we must also remember that there are many ways to share in the spread of the gospel. There are many ways. You can actually go like the Apostle Paul and other missionaries. You can go to countries that need the gospel. You can absolutely do that, but you can also support those who go. Paul Washer, who's an evangelist and a preacher, said this, there are only two jobs in missions. You are either called to go down into the well, or you are called to hold the rope for those who go down. And so what's your role when it comes to missions? Are you called to go? Some of you here this morning 
may be called to go. Like for a long time, God's been really stirring your heart for missions and you're not sure whether you should go or not. And maybe that's what God's calling you to. And if that is what you're sensing, come and speak to me or Dan or one of the leaders and we'll pray with you and support you and walk with you in helping you make that decision. And others of you are called to hope the, to, to hope the rope. No, to hold the rope for those who go. The important thing for us all to remember is whatever you do in Jesus' name is your contribution to the spread of the gospel. And so whether you make coffee and hand coffee to people as they come into the service, whether you set up chairs, um, whether you pray, whatever you do in Jesus' name is you contributing to the spread of the gospel. That is why Paul is saying to the Philippians, look, I, I, you haven't been traveling with me, but I'm incredibly thankful for your partnership, for how you've shared in the spread of the gospel with me because they've been supporting him from a distance. And so I want you to think about how can you continue or be intentional in spreading the gospel? How can you be doing that more and more? And so that was number one, gratitude for partnership, right? What are some of the ways Paul expressed his love and appreciation for the Philippians? Second way was he reminded them of the confidence he has in God's work. The confidence he has in God's work, okay? Uh, after thanking them for their faithful ministry, Paul encourages the Philippians. He starts to encourage them. Where's the encouragement? Look at verse 6. It's there. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This this is incredibly encouraging, right? He's confident that their good works, that is their faithful contribution to the spread of the gospel, will not remain in the past, but will continue into the future. And into what future? It tells us, until the day of Christ Jesus. And what is this whole day of Christ Jesus about? We're not going to get into it too thoroughly this morning, but it's basically when Jesus returns. Yes, you heard me right. Jesus is coming back. And I... This whole concept, this whole truth of Jesus' return to come bring an end to time and to come judge the world is something we don't think about often. But I think we should. Why? Because in light of Jesus' return, as we live according to Jesus' return, it helps us live according to his ways. And so Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but we know for sure he is. And in light of that truth, how are you living now in light of that future reality? And so Paul is confident that their faithful contribution to the spread of the gospel will not remain in the past, but will continue into the future until the day of Christ Jesus. And the reason he's confident of this 
is because all of their good works have been all done by God himself. Let's read verse 6 again. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has been the one behind all of their faithful, fruitful gospel ministry, and he's the one that will sustain it over time. King's Cross Church, right, began four years ago in March, just celebrated our fourth year anniversary. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. And ever since we started, it's been clear that God has been at work in and through our church. I've not only seen it and heard it in conversations, but recently we did this survey, okay? It was called a resource survey. And what we wanted to do was figure out what the gifts are, like the gifts and talents, the resources God has given our church, so that whenever a need came up, we could meet that need, right? We took all of this information, put it in a spreadsheet, okay? And, um, and, just, and just kind of like arranged it all so that whenever a need came up, we would know. And at the end of that survey, for all those who filled it out, at the end of that survey, there was this question. And this question was this. What do you think are defining characteristics of King's Cross Church? To be honest, when we asked that question, I was like, oh gosh, what are we going to hear? But I was incredibly encouraged by the responses, right? And I'm going to read some of them out to you, okay? What do you think are defining characteristics of King's Cross Church? And here is how some members of our church responded. First response was that I'm going to read. I'm, just, I'm not going to read all of them. There was like 50, okay? I just chose a few. And if I'm reading what you wrote, just calm, all right? <laughs> Don't like indicate in any way that it's you. If you want to, but I wouldn't recommend it, okay? <laughs> First response, biblical teaching, Christ-centered community, people transformed by their faith, community that strives to serve one another and live amongst each other the way the early church did, a local church involved in a community, multiple church leaders for leader accountability, leaders who listen and are open to where God leads genuine hospitality. That was the first response. Here's another one. A community that feels like family, devoted to pursuing Christ together, deep friendships, accountability, a life that is shared with others. Here's the next one. A desire, uh, you know, a desire more to obey God's word and lead others to Jesus than to become a successful, growing, um, incised church. I love that, right? As a church, and we pray this, and we check our hearts to make sure that this is consistent. We want to grow in depth, all right? Not breadth, not size, okay? We want that, and I'm so glad someone picked that up. Praise God for that. Next response, someone wrote, people are friendly and supportive. The care and effort poured into the lives of people inside and outside communi um, communicate communities is awesome. Someone just said, we are welcoming and authentic, all right? Someone wrote this. When I first started coming to King's Cross Church, it was still pretty small, and that is what drew me to it. As an introvert, as an introvert, 
introverts have a hard time in churches, I hear. And as a church, we are doing all we can to make sure that we serve and love every personality. And I mean that. Yeah? All right. As an introvert, it made it easier to connect to the people there and for people to recognize we were new. Another thing that drew us and why we decided to say is because we loved going through Scripture every Sunday, book by book. Five years ago, when I met Dan Boss right at a coffee shop and he agreed to partner with me to plant this church and we started meeting with others and praying and asking God and saying, God, we just want a church that exemplifies the church you've called us to be, a church that is expressed in the New Testament. It was all like a dream and a desire and for us to be experiencing it now and hearing people tell us that they experience in it is so humbling. It absolutely is. In light of all of this, this is what we know. God deserves all the credit. And you can clap for that. Why not? He, he does. Seriously. He deserves all the credit and the glory. The reason why we are hearing this and experiencing us being a church family on mission with Jesus isn't because we have a cool venue, right? Isn't because of the awesome worship experience led by Dan, right? Isn't because we, you know, we have good promotion or charismatic leaders or anything like that. The reason why we are hearing that people are experiencing Jesus every time they gather and are passionate about mission is because of God. God has started it and God continues to work in and through our church for his purposes. That is what we know. Now, this is what we're confident of. We are confident that the work God has started in and through King's Cross will continue until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. And that's what we're confident of. Charles Spurgeon said this, the work of grace has its roots in the divine goodness of the Father. It is planted by the self-denying self goodness of the Son, and it is daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. It springs from good and leads to good, and so is altogether good. It's all about God. Everything we've been able to achieve, all the successes of people growing, of marriages being strengthened, of people getting saved and baptized, of lives changing, of us being encouraged and um, um, a book like Ecclesiastes helping us see that Jesus is better. All of these things has been the work of God through his spirit inspired by his son Jesus Christ. It absolutely is. And I want us to remember that. And so, we've seen that Paul expressed his love and appreciation for the Philippians um, for, um, by expressing his gratitude for their partnership, by reminding us of the confidence in God's work. La lastly, Paul's love and appreciation for the Philippians is expressed by his prayer 
for more love. His prayer for more love. Look at verse 7. It says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And this all makes sense, doesn't it? First, um, the reason why Paul feels the way he feels about them is because they have a special place in his heart. And we've been hearing him just talk about that. And second, um, they have shared in God's grace and stood beside him through good times and bad times. And because of this, look at verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so he's just thinking about them and thinking about all the ways God has used the Philippians in his life. And he's like, God can testify. It's legit. I long for you guys. The word long here carries the idea of homesickness. And some of you know what that's like. When you're away from people you love, you are homesick. You long for them. And this is the experience Paul is communicating here. He's had some moments with the Philippians, and as he thinks about them, and as he rejoices in them, and as he rejoices in God starting the work and continuing the work, he's like, I, I'm just homesick. I want to be with you. I long for all of you with what? With the affection of Christ Jesus. And this Christ-like affection he had for them inspired him to do what? To actually pray for them. Earlier, okay, in verse 4, he told the Philippians he had been praying for them. Now, from verses 9 to 11, he shares the content of the prayer, of his prayer for them. And that's telling, isn't it? Like, when we love and appreciate someone, what, we're, what we should do naturally is pray for them. We should. We should pray for them. And that is something I, as I was studying this, I was so challenged by. I have many ways of expressing my love and appreciation for people. I do. Yeah, I love like calling people. Just saying, love you, man. What up? So proud of you. You're awesome. Just love making calls like that. Just love encouraging people. But as I was studying this, I was challenged to pray for those people that I love, because that's what it should lead to. If I love and appreciate them naturally, I should pray for them more. So that's what I would encourage you to do. Who do you love and appreciate? Absolutely, give them a gift, send them a text, all of that, but make sure that you involve times of intentional prayer for them. From verses 9 to 11, Paul shares the content of his prayer for them. And so before we look at the prayer, 
Just want to remind you that, yes, Paul did write it to um, a church in Philippi in the first century. But this prayer applies, for, applies to us, King's Cross Church, in the 21st century. And this is the beginning of the prayer. Look at verse 9. It says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The Philippians had a lot of love. And we've known that, and they showed that love to Paul. Yet Paul, what does he do? He prays that they would increase, they would abound more, they would have more love for each other. In other words, he prays that they would abound in the kind of love that's not based on feelings, okay, but on truth and knowledge. How do I know that? Look at verse 9 again. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, and depth of insight. He doesn't just say, hey, may your love abound more and more. Okay? He, he specifies it. He's very much like, I want you to grow in your love for each other, but I want that love to be based in knowledge and depth of insight. Rico Tice, who's a pastor, a vicar, he's a vicar in England, He's got a cool name, um, said this. He said, Christian love is not mindless sentimentality. It involves a thoughtful concern for the th- truth of God. Christian love is not mindless sentimentality. It involves a, a thoughtful concern for the truth of God. And this knowledge-based kind of love the love Paul prays for the Philippians to grow in. This kind of love is articulated. He doesn't really articulate it here. This love that is based on knowledge, he doesn't articulate it here. But as we read the New Testament, we can see that this kind of love is articulated in the New Testament and illustrated by the life of Jesus. And this love he's praying for them is so different to the kind of love uh, that is popular in our culture and the kind of love that most people base on feelings. In our day and age, love is associated with tolerance and feelings than with truth and righteousness. There's a difference between God's love, that's the love he's praying for them, and man-centered love. That is the love popular in our culture. Godly love, and here are some of the distinctions. Godly love is an action, okay? Where man-centered cultural love is a feeling. Godly love is about those around me where worldly love is all about me. Godly love is a commitment while Man-centered love is a phase. Godly love is about giving, but worldly love is about getting. Some of you here this morning have been Christians for a long time. It's a long time. And as we talk about God's love and this kind of self-sacrificial agape love. You know what agape means, yeah? Because you've been a Christian for a while. There is 
and uncomfortability you feel because this kind of love isn't a reality in your life. You're like, if I can be honest, the love I give and the love I kind of operate or inspired by is more worldly than godly. And I hope as you feel this uncomfortability, I hope that there's a desire in you to want to experience this kind of love, the love that is demonstrated by Jesus and articulated. I hope you have a desire for it. And if you do, I want you to this week commit to praying for it. This is a prayer Paul wrote. One of my, one of the, one of the first things I say to people that tell me that they struggle to pray is that you should pray the Bible. There's a book I have called Pray the Bible, Praying the Bible. I give it to everyone. Praying scripture is one of the most powerful things you can do. And so I would challenge you that this week, take verses 9 through to 11 and just pray it and reflect on it and say, God, help the love, this love, your love to abound in my life. And God is faithful. He will answer your prayer. He really will. Paul prays for God's kind of love to increase among the Philippians. Um, for this reason, look at verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he wants them to fill with this God's love so that they can discern what is best. They can discern what is best. We live in a culture filled with an abundance of choice. The other day, or this week, I've talked to multiple people about how frustrating it is to have choice. And the reason I thought of that was I was thinking about the first time Eleanor and I arrived in America and we walked into Walmart. All we wanted was peanut butter. And there was a wall. I mean, it wasn't an aisle. It was a wall of different kinds of peanut butter. I just couldn't make the choice. We are spoilt for choice, right? Um, we, I, I was reading this thing today about Starbucks, um, about how you walk into Starbucks and there's multiple choices of what you can have in a drink, okay? You have to choose the kind of beans you want, and then you have to choose the kind of milk, right? And then the type, and then there's incredible amounts of choice. We have access to more choices than we have ever done. And as we think about what Paul is praying for them the, 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 to, dis, to discern what is best, this all makes it harder when we apply it to our lives and what God is calling us to. Where should I go next? What school? What career? What, you know, should I get married now? Or, you know, we have so much choice. 
And I love this prayer because Paul is saying that if you are rooted and grounded in God's love for you in Jesus Christ, it will not only help you love others better, but it will help you navigate life and discern what is best. And so if you want to know what God's will is for you, if you want to discern and know what is best in any given situation or choice, root and ground yourself in the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for you. Commit to reading more of the Bible than you do. Commit to reading more of the Bible than you do. You have the time. Don't tell me you don't have the time. You do. Commit to reading the Bible and praying and gathering with believers more than you do. It will help you discern what is best. It will also um, help you become pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. And it will also fill you with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and then you will glorify God. As we talk about the need to love, the need to make the right decisions, as we talk about um, you know, just the need to rejoice in people and celebrate and all of those things, one of the things we cannot forget is this, that God is the one that works in you and through you by his spirit. Lawrence of Arabia once brought a group of poor Bedouins to London and housed them in a beautiful hotel. If you don't know what a Bedouin is, I might have pronounced it wrong, it's Arabs that lived in the desert. And so he brings them to London and houses them in a beautiful hotel. They had never stayed, obviously, in a hotel like this. They had lived in the desert in tents. And as they were staying in the hotel room, they quickly became fascinated with the faucets in the hotel. In the desert, water obviously was hard to come by. But in the hotel, they just had to turn the knob to get all the water they needed. When Lawrence helped them pack up to leave, he discovered something fascinating, that they had taken the faucets of all of the sinks and put them in their bags. They believed <laughs> that if they possessed these faucets, they would get access to water. If you think about this interesting story, we are like faucets. And that is this, unless we're connected to God through Jesus, we cannot truly love others, discern what is best, and be pure and blameless. It's as simple as that, but it's incredibly hard to execute. And so King's Cross Church, may we be a community that looks to Jesus 
because the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we reflect and meditate on who he is and what he's done for us, the more we're able to live and relate to people in the same way God loves and relates to us. Let's pray. God, may we glorify you with our lives. May you hear our prayer. God, we pray that we would grow in our love for you so that our love may abound more and more, Lord not in blind cultural love, but may our love be rooted and grounded in your love that has been demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.